Good to see everybody this morning. I was going to have you stand again, just to... Let's stand again. No, I'm just teasing. That's right in my old life in church there for a moment. Stand and sit and stand and sit. Hey, it's good to see everybody here this morning. Um, I'm excited about um, just this series um, of messages that we're looking into in the in the month of January, and um, Pastor Brandon did a great job last week giving us an introduction to, uh, yeah, yeah, give Pastor Brandon a hand, did a great job. If you missed it last week, you can always grab that message online, and it's there for you, and uh, we'd love for you to take advantage of that. But what we're looking at, obviously, it's 2020, and uh, I I was thinking back a couple months ago when I was uh, looking at these messages, (coughs) excuse me. I was looking at going, boy, that's just a great way to look at vision and to look what's important in the church. And I wanted to focus on unity and how important it is for us to walk in unity in the church. And I think the thing that we fight with consistent, consistently in our life is this need to be individuals. And I think what happens is we live in a society that caters to our individuality, and we lose perspective of how we're supposed to work and operate in the body of Christ. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't use us individually with our gifts, but the purpose for that is to build up the body of Christ and to allow Jesus to be glorified in our midst. And I think sometimes we can look at churches maybe a way of, how can the church meet my needs um, what are the special things that occur at this particular church that can, you know, cater to my particular um, needs? And what I want to do for you over the next couple of weeks is get a different vision of what the purpose of the church is and how you fit into that and how we can grow in unity in the body of Christ when we look at these things. The reason why I wanted to do this is because one of Jesus's last prayers before he would leave this earth and after, you know, he would rise from the dead, before he went to the cross, one of his last prayers for us was that we would walk in unity. And I would say if that was one of Jesus's last prayers, then it's probably pretty important. And so I want to look at unity and I want to look at how important it is for us to walk corporately together within the body of Christ And understand that Jesus' mission when he came to earth, he came to not just uh, show us the way to heaven and to die for our sins, and, and, and he was on a rescue mission for us, but Jesus showed us the way to the heart of the Father. And Jesus showed us what the kingdom of heaven should look like. And Jesus showed us that he came not to be served, but to serve us and give his life for us as a ransom. And he wanted his followers to follow his example, that the world would know that Christ is in us. Jesus is one of the most important evidence of Jesus being alive in the body of Christ, is how we walk in unity and how we love each other. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're, we're not going to disagree or see eye to eye on things, but we need to walk in the truth and love. And what are we doing to encourage each other uh, to provoke, and I use the word provoke in a good way because I'm going to provoke you a little bit today. I'm going to needle you a little bit today. But how many know that provoking each other in love is a good thing? Because if we truly love each other, then we want each other to grow. If, you're, if, you're, um, if you have children, you provoke them because you, you want them 
to do well. You want to protect them. You don't want them to make bad decisions because you love them and you care for them. And so that's what Jesus wants us to understand as we walk with one another and as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. He desires us to walk in unity. What I want to talk about today is I'm going to talk about how important this one fundamental ideas throughout scriptures, throughout the scriptures, that shows how we can walk in unity. And I believe that's prayer. I believe prayer is foundational to all we do. I believe prayer is what causes us to walk in unity. I believe prayer is what helps us to know and see the heart of God. And so we need to be seeking God for our church. We need to be seeking God for our community. And we need to be seeking God for the world. And and, and so prayer is the vehicle that helps us to understand the heart of God. Prayer is the thing that lays down our preferences and our desires and allows us to see what God wants. We want God's will to be done for living word. Anybody out there this morning? Amen? Yeah, we, we, that's what we want. And so what we've done is to help us um, to, to create momentum for this is we've given you a, a daily prayer and devotional uh, uh, devotions journals for um, the the whole month of January, and so it, it's it's if you haven't if you didn't get it, uh, it's it's in your your bulletin, or you can pick it up on your way out. It's at the connection table. But this is just a daily guide to help us as a church. Uh, to be praying the same thing and to be studying the same things in Scripture. So what I want you to do as individuals and as families, we're going to be handing these out uh, at the beginning of, of, of every Sunday and giving you a new uh, focus for that week to pray for and to study. And this week's going to be on prayer. And so you can get this online too. Why am I ex- I'm excited for this reason. Um, because we're all going to be focusing on the same thing. And we're going to be praying for the same things. And I believe when we walk in unity and we're proactive in doing those things, I believe God does great things in our midst. And so I I, I want God to do great things in in your individual lives and your marriages. And so I want to take this month of January and just focus on these critical issues for unity within the church that I believe will set the table for the rest of the year. Does that sound good? You guys be part of that? Will you partner with us? I believe uh, the more we get involved with this, the greater we're going to see God move in in our midst. So we've created that for you, and I'm I'm excited about doing this uh, together. And so my desire is that um, we corporately, as the church, will get a new sense of purpose and and, and a a greater calling in our lives to serve Christ. Because I just don't want to play church. I don't want to keep doing that and... We just go through the motions. I, I want God to do a work in your heart. I want God to provoke us. I want us to, him to provoke us into new things and to step out of our comfort zones and maybe take a step of, of faith in areas that we've never done that before. And so that's my desire for you over um, the next month. And I want to help you to take that, that first step. So the question I want to ask you is, why is unity so essential for the life of the church? And we know that Jesus' last prayer focused on the unity of the church. Jesus understood that without unity, the church would be in disarray. There's no way the church could have done all it did in the first century, in the first century unless they were walking in unity and had the same purpose and the same vision for the calling of Christ in their life. There was two 
there was way too much commotion and there was way too much oppression and opposition towards the message of Christ. But what allowed the church to overcome, not that the church wasn't perfect and the church didn't have its issues. The the first century church wasn't perfect either, amen? Just read some of Paul's letters. They They were messed up, many of them. And Paul had to correct them. But what allowed the message of Christ to continue to go forward in boldness? And I believe it was because of unity and purpose and prayer and focusing on what they needed to focus on. They made the main thing the main thing. And Paul kept addressing that. Hey, come back to Christ. Him crucified. Keep coming back to the gospel message. Don't don't accept another gospel message that isn't about Jesus and what he's done for you. And they kept focusing on that main message. And that's what caused the church to grow. That same message, we cannot lose the gospel message. It's so easy to get sidetracked on other issues, but the moment we lose the gospel message is the moment we'll lose our identity as a church. And so that's why it's so important to focus on these things. And so we understand that when relationships are unhealthy, uh, it causes disarray. And how many know that, uh, let me give the example of marriage. How many know that, that marriage uh, takes work. Okay, get an amen. You just can't put on cruise control. There has to be communication. Remember, remember when you were, you, were, you were first married and you just like, you just thought, man, everything's perfect. Everything's great. We're going to get along. We're never going to have any issues, right? I, I see that when I do uh, counseling, you know, just premarital uh, classes with, with uh, premarital couples and they're, they're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and everything is wonderful and they're holding hands and he's wonderful, she's wonderful. They're the emblem of my dreams come true. They complete me. All this, you know, it's just wonderful. And, and so, you know, what I, want, what I do many times in my classes is, is I want them to kind of argue. I just want them to kind of get in a fight. You know, just to, just to realize that marriage is not going to be all that. So I ask them questions, and questions about expectations. And it's interesting that when you start asking questions, like, I remember one couple, they were so cute. Same thing, they came in, bright-eyed, bush day. He's wonderful. She's wonderful. They met my dreams. This is what I prayed. It was so much, my teeth rotted from too much cotton candy. But anyway, it's just too sweet in there. I'm like, okay, we got we to dial this down a little bit and get a little reality check. So I give them 50 questions to answer. And these questions are just questions of expectations. And one of the questions I ask is, where are you going to spend Christmas? And right away, the... Right? Well, yes, yeah. so you know, you know. And see, they, they never talked about this. They're, you know, if they love each other, everything's cotton candy and potpourri. It's just wonderful. So I said, wait. And right away, um, the girl spoke up. And she goes, oh, we're going to, wow, Christmas is big. We always spend it at my house. And this pastor says, wait a minute. We always spend Christmas. And all of a sudden, I'm going, yeah, here we go. Come on. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go. And it was just, and we started going through the questions. And it was all about expectation. I said, the reason why I want you guys to talk about this is because it's going to be the little things. It's the little fox that ruins the vineyard. It's going to be all these little things that, that aren't communicated, the, uh, the expectations that are unmet, that if you don't talk about them, communicate, can easily cause division. It's that small little fracture that can cause division. How many of us know the same thing can happen in a church? And if we are not praying as a church, it's all the little things that can easily become big things and can cause division within the body if we're not careful. What prayer does is it humbles us before the Lord and let us grab the mind of Christ so that we can look at our idiosyncrasies 
and our peculiar, we are a peculiar people. The word of God says that, which means we're a bunch of weirdos. We are a bunch of weird people. We're pe- peculiar. We're, we're different. We, have our, we all have our opinions. We, we all have a way we like doing things. But here's what I want to stress to you. Prayer gives us the heart of God so that we see above ourselves to the betterment of the whole. God, what are you doing? I can lay down some of my preferences as to say, God, I want you to do what you need to do for the betterment of the whole corporate group, the church. And how is God using us to help encourage the body of Christ to be what it needs to be in Jesus? And God has to use us. We've got to be careful with individualism. It's It's just preached to us in our society. Everything caters to us and what we want. The problem with that, if we're not careful, we can take that mentality within the life of the church and we end up looking at ourselves individually and we, don't, we can tend to separate ourselves by saying, what I do doesn't really matter for the whole. Everything you do matters to the whole of the group. It's, it's vital that we understand, God, I, you've given me gifts and you've given me talents and treasures to use for the betterment of the body of Christ. Individually, yes, he gifts us. And we all have our our gifts and personalities, and which is wonderful. But, but God wants to use that for the betterment of the whole. So let's look at Jesus' prayer here in John 17. And so Jesus says this in his prayer. I love that it's recorded for us. Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me. Father, I am in you, and may they be in us that the world will believe that you sent me. Listen to the oneness. Jesus and the Father are one. He wanted that oneness within the followers of Jesus. Then he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you loved me. So here's the thing. We must have Jesus in us. I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. Theology is great. We need to study our doctrine. We need to know what we believe. But the problem is we can have a lot of knowledge without a, not a lot of love. And there can be opposite too. We can have a lot of love without a lot of knowledge and doctrine can be just as bad. But what Jesus is saying here is you have to know me. You have to experience me. I have to be in you just as I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. How do we do that? How do we consistently allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life and to be in us daily? It's through prayer. And we're going to see this in the scripture that Jesus consistently got alone to be with the Father. To be one with the Father. To know the will of the Father. What a great example Jesus set for each and every one of us. If you're struggling with your identity with Jesus and who you are in Christ and what your purpose is, I guarantee I can, I can, there's a common denominator there. And, and I bet you it comes down to prayer. It's getting alone with the Father. And I'm going to talk more about prayer, what it is, what it isn't. But here's the important thing. is unity. Jesus says they must be 
they must have me in them. And so why is, why is unity so important? Jesus' prayers for unity, Jesus' prayer gives us insight into what he sees as vitally important, that we're to love each other, that we're to walk in unity, to be a witness to the world of who Jesus is. So why is this so important? Here's the reason why it's so important. The proof to the world that we are followers of Jesus is by our love for one another. He's talking about the church, by our love for one another. That's the proof to the world that we are followers. John records these very words for us. If Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The proof is not in our knowledge so much as it is in our love, how we treat one another, how we walk in love with one another as Christ is in us. And so one thing, one thing we need to understand is, is no one uh, can be separate within the body of Christ. It doesn't work. There are many parts, Paul says, but we all work together. One can't work without the other. And so no one, I'm going to tell you, no one wants to be a part of something that is in disarray. No one's going to want to be part of God's family if everyone's fighting. It's just not a good look for the church if we're fighting. Does anyone want to go to church? Man, that church just argues all the time. They just fight. And, you know, they, you know, no one, I mean, you're not going to want to go to a doctor if you say, doctor, I'm coming to you because I, I want you to make, you go to the doctor when you don't feel good, right? When you're sick. And if the doctor goes to you, well, I'm not going to make you feel better. I'll probably make you more sick. You're like, you're going to be looking for a new doctor, Right? Or if you go to a dentist and the dentist says, yeah, I'm going to make your teeth worse. Okay. You know, you're going to be going, you're going to be seeing a, a new dentist. I love, I don't know if any of you have seen that commercial on, a, on TV um, where a guy's getting ready for surgery and um, the nurse walks in and the guy asks, hey, have you worked with this doctor? And she's like, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> the last thing you want to hear before you go into surgery is he's just Okay. So then the doctor walks in and he goes, hey, I've just been reinstated. And you're my first, right? And, and they're like, and he goes, well, it'll be, he goes are, you, are you worried? Well, I'm a little worried, but it's, it's going to be okay, right? You'd be hopping out of that bed and you'd be running for, for the parking lot. See, the thing about the church is that we need to understand that our exam, that doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect in the church, that we're not going to have our problems or our issues. How many know we will? How do we deal with those? How do we correctly, in the spirit of Christ, deal with those and allow Christ to lead us? And I believe that's why we need to pray. That's why we need to know the heart of God. See, I want a friend who's going to speak both truth and love into my life. I want a friend who's going to provoke me. I don't want one that's always cynical and poison is always coming out of their mouth. I want someone that's going to provoke, provoke me to better works because they love me. Parents, with your kids. We love our kids. And they do boneheaded things sometimes, don't they? Just like we did when we were younger. But the reason why we want the best for our kids and the reason why we discipline them is because we love them. We provoke them. We say, don't, this is a wrong choice for you. And this could lead to this because we care for them and we love them. And so in the body of Christ, if we truly love each other, we're going to provoke each other to do good works because what's at stake is the testimony of Jesus. And so we've got to remember that. The Apostle Paul understood 
how vital the unity of the church was as he wrote to the church in Philippi when he said, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And you know what made Paul's joy complete? It's not that they memorized the whole Bible. What made his joy complete is that they would be like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and in purpose. That's what gave Paul joy. Are you tender? Are you compassionate? You know, is, are you fellowshipping in the spirit? Are you like-minded in Christ? That's what gave Paul joy. And so for this month, this is what we're going to focus on. And I want to focus on the things that are going to draw us closer together as a church so that we can walk in unity and that, that we can allow our preferences to be set aside. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, the only way we can accomplish growth in unity is when we look beyond ourselves. We have to look beyond ourselves and ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want from me and how am I doing at building up the body of Christ? You see, prayer is the thing that's going to help us to walk in unity, to combat the enemy's schemes, to fight temptation, to fight against my own flesh. Prayer is the thing that does that. Prayer should always be founded should be the foundation, always be the foundation for unity. Over and over and over again, we see the importance of prayer in Scripture. And so let me just give you just the apostles and how important they saw prayer was as they spoke this to the body of Christ. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert, be sober-minded, and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You think Paul thought prayer was important? You better believe it. Listen as he writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, never stop praying. What that means in the Greek is never stop praying. That's what it means. So without ceasing. So that, that means anywhere you are, it doesn't mean that you have to just be alone with God in your own private prayer time maybe, but anywhere you are, in your car, at work, never stop praying, asking God for wisdom, asking God for help. Romans 12, 12, Paul once again says, rejoice in our confident home, be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. And listen to how he encourages Timothy. Pastor Timothy, he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Listen to what he says again to Timothy in every place of worship. I want Men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Ruth Brooks gave me a big amen for that one in the first service. She was like, go men, go men. Listen to what Paul says once again to the church in Colossae. He says, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. John tells us, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything According to his will, he hears us. See how important prayer is? I want you to see the common thread in all these verses. See, prayer is what draws us close to God and to each other. Prayer is that common thing. We pray for each other. It's amazing when we begin 
to pray. Sometimes we pray with, with wanting this circumstance to change. God, I don't like what I'm going through. And that, that's okay. But really what prayer should do is to change our heart to help us to know God's will in that certain situation so that God can help me grow closer to him. God uses those situations in our lives, the difficult situations in our lives, not because he's mean, but it's because he wants us to draw closer to him and prayer does that. How many of you know when you feel helpless, that's an okay place to be because God wants us to draw close to him. When things are going great and wonderful, we normally don't pray. And so God uses these situations to change our heart, to give us a different understanding Many times when we're praying for somebody else and we're angry at what they did and all of a sudden we begin to pray, God gives us a different understanding for that situation as we pray because we begin to grab his heart and understand what his will is. Prayer does that for us. Nothing happens without prayer. Nothing. I mean, if you read through the book of Acts, you see over and over again, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, pray, 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 pray. Every situation, nothing happens without prayer. Prayer And so Jesus understood the importance of prayer. Jesus' oneness with God the Father was seen in Jesus' prayer life. And what we see over and over again in scriptures is Jesus got alone to pray, to be one with the Father, to understand his will. Let me just give you a few passages here. In Matthew 14, 23, it says, After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Mark records for us, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Luke records for us, on one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. You see, we protect the unity of the church through prayer. Because what we're doing is we're grabbing the heart of God for unity in the church. Prayer begins to reveal the inconsistencies in my heart and my life that need to change. The, many times the way I pray is, because how many of you know it's hard to see the inconsistencies in our own lives? Because we're just kind of blinded to them because we're very preferential to ourselves. Can I get an amen? Is that true? Okay, just, just you and I. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, just you and I talking this morning. Um, but the way I pray, I just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, reveal to me those areas that I don't see. And there will be times maybe your spouse or maybe a friend or somebody else are hearing a word or listening to a message where the Holy Spirit begins to provoke your heart in an area that you know is inconsistent. And see, what God does is not there to beat us up and you know, put us deeper in, in, into the ground and just to step on us, but what God is saying, Barton, I've revealed this to your heart because I want to show you something. And then what we do in prayer, we, we, we give that to the Lord. We say, God, change my heart, whether it's through somebody else or through his word, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God reveals the inconsistencies in our heart, but we can only hear that when we're open to it. Prayer gives us a receptive heart to hear from God. And the reason why is because he loves you. He doesn't want to heap more condemnation and guilt on you. He wants to set you free. Only through prayer can we do that. So we protect the unity of the church through prayer. We protect the unity of our marriages and our families through prayer. So how do we make prayer a priority? Because, listen, if we're honest with ourselves, we know prayer is important. We read it in Scripture, as I just said. 
But the problem is we tend to beat ourselves up because we know we don't pray enough. We know we ought to because sometimes when we pray, we're like, our minds start to wander. Like, what am I doing? And who's doing what? And what's for dinner? And, you know, I'm going to show you how to, how to kind of have a skeleton of, of prayer in your life to keep you, keep you on, on track in prayer. But here's what I want to show you. Why, 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 how do we need to make priority of prayer? I, I want you to see that prayer is really, it should be a privilege for every believer. Prayer should not be a chore. We should see it as a privilege that we can come to the Father, that he knows our heart, that he, he wants to develop in our heart this hunger to want to seek him. Not, not religiously, not under compulsion. He wants to, do you realize he just wants to spend time with you? He, he, he wants you to share your heart with him. Not, not just a prayer laundry list. He wants your heart. And if you can approach prayer with this willingness to know the heart of God, it will revolutionize the way you approach prayer. And you'll begin to see prayer as a privilege of something I get to do, not something I have to do, or I have to look at my, okay, good, I prayed five minutes today, or I prayed ten minutes. Or that's, God just doesn't want you checking this off your list. He wants your heart and the desire to want to come to him. So if, if prayer is going to become a priority in our life, it's got to start with me. Prayer has to start with me. And so how do we do that? How do we, you know, obviously we understand that we need to carve out some time in our day to pray or, or it can be, you know, in your time alone time or it can be in your car or when you're walking, running, whatever it may be. There's a time where you can just set your mind on the Lord and pray. But I, what I want to do is I just want to give you this basic skeleton on how to, how to correctly a, approach God and, and how how we should be approaching God in prayer. Because I think sometimes we just, if we're not careful, we can just see God as this genie in a bottle, you know, and we're just kind of like, hey, God, you know, I need this and I need that. And I don't like what I'm going through. Can you change this? And man, my boss, they're the worst. And my neighbors are driving me crazy. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, we can just kind of look at God as a genie. Just to, just, you got to help me here. You know, I just, here's, I want us to be careful on how we approach God and really look that prayer is this privileged thing that God has given us so we don't take it for granted. And so let me just get, it's, it's simplistic. I've given this before, but let me just give you the acts of prayer, the ACTS of prayer. Just four aspects of prayer. The first one I want you to look at is adoration. And, and basically that is just thanking God for who he is. When we come before the Lord, let's just thank him for being God. And being a good God and being a faithful God. I love Psalm 73. You, you can actually pray Psalm 73. You can, in your prayer time, you can actually pray this. So as you come with this adoration towards God, listen, I love the, the Psalm here. Whom have I in heaven but you? No one else can I turn to. I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. That's just coming to God and thanking him, knowing that he's always going to be with you, that, listen, hard things may come in my life. I may face pain and trial and struggle, but I know God will always be with me. Go to him with adoration, thanking God for who he is. That's the kind of relationship he wants. He wants to have that closeness and understanding our heart and our life as we give it to him. So come with him as 
with adoration. The second part of the Acts prayer is is confession. And this is admitting your your sins to the Lord. Now, let me talk about this for just a second. This is not just beating yourself up and saying, I'm no good, I'm no good. You know, I'm never going to be good enough, God. I can never be able to serve because I make so many mistakes. But here's, here's the reason why confession is so important with the area of our sin. When we confess our shortcomings and our sins to the Lord, it takes the power off that sin. And you know what? We've got to keep coming back over and over again. I think a daily regiment of repentance is a good thing. Because what it does is say, God, you know, maybe over the Christmas holiday, you're like, there's these relatives I have to see. I see them once a year. And maybe the conversation didn't go the way you wanted it to. Maybe you went in thinking, I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. It's going to be wonderful. And you went in there and you started talking politics and the roof blew up and it got mad and people screamed. You know, and then you're thinking back, man, I wasn't a real good Christian witness there, right? And you're thinking, listen, when we confess to the Lord, we, we say, God, I missed you here. I missed it. And I confess this to you. I'm struggling in this area, God. I'm struggling with my thought life. I'm struggling with my anger. I'm struggling with my bitterness. See, when we confess to the Lord, it takes the power off that. It lets God have access to our heart and our life. So confess those things to the Lord. Ask God to show you where your vulnerable parts are, where you're like, man, this is my anger or my patience or whatever it may be. This habitual sin I'm struggling with, God, I give this to you. I need your help and I need your strength here. God wants to hear that because it takes the power off that sin so it does not dominate you. Jesus' power in us desires to give us strength to overcome those things. So confession. The next thing there is thanksgiving, and this is just basically just counting your, your blessings and thanking God. I mean, how many know we've got a lot to thank God for? He's always good to us. And there's, you know, man, we've got a warm building to come to. And, you know, you drove here in a car. You know, we, we've got a lot to thank the Lord for. Just his daily provisions for us each and every day. And, and, and that's why Paul said, be thankful in, in some circumstances. You know, what did he say? He said, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for those of you who belong to Christ Jesus. Because we understand that not every circumstance is going to be a good one. Not every circumstance is, is going to be pleasurable. But understanding that God uses all of those circumstances to cause us to grow closer to him. And so my prayer must be, God, I don't like this circumstance. I don't like what I'm going through. But I know that you're good. And I know that you're faithful. And so, God, what are you teaching me through this? Not so much, God, just get me through this and let it be done. The hardest thing is that patience of waiting to endure through that thing. God, what are you teaching me through that? That's the heart of thanksgiving. I'm going to still give you thanks. I may not like it. It may be painful. But I'm going to give you thanks because I know you're good. And I know you're teaching me something if I just keep my heart pliable. See, prayer is the thing that keeps our heart pliable to hear the voice of God. And to allow us to go through those circumstances that may not be ideal. And then the last thing there is supplication. And that's presenting your need to God. Presenting your need to God. It's not just a laundry list of all the things I need God. I mean, we are to present our request to God. We, we, we are to do that. And, and we're to cast our cares at Jesus' feet because he does care for us. But I love what Paul says here about 
about casting our cares at his feet to the Philippian church. He says, do not be anxious for anything, but in every, every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, and I want you to see the great exchange that happens here. It, it, what Paul is saying is we're never going to, he says, it's, it's not that we're never going to be anxious or we're not going to worry about things or we're not going to have fear. But what Paul is saying is that we have an advocate that we can go to in Christ Jesus and give these things to him. And then there's this great exchange that happens. You see, we were never meant to bear our burdens. Do you wonder why we have so much health issues? What, what, do, what do those in the health field say? It's from what? Stress, stress right? Our guts are all messed up and everything's because of of stress. It it doesn't mean we never go through stress, but here's what Paul says. What you can do is you can give those needs to the Lord. You can present those requests to the Lord. Here's the great exchange he said. And then what? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we have one that we can give our requests to, and then the great exchange is God gives us this peace that will actually protect our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And then you wonder, wait a minute, I still have this stress. I still have this situation, this circumstance that's going on in my life, but I have peace now. I can get through it. I know that the Lord is with me. I'm going to keep giving that back to him all the time because I know that the Lord is with me. I know that the Lord is faithful. And so he gives us his peace knowing that God is in control. And so we are to give our request, but knowing that we don't have to worry about it or fret over it, that God will give us his peace. See, prayer will keep you humble and seeking the best for others. It will just keep you humble, and it will cause you to be edifying to those around you. And that's why it's so vital. So let me just give you a couple things here about about prayer, just to provoke you a little bit, to help you maybe if you've never done this before, or never, you know, took a step in your prayer life. Let, let Let me just give you some encouraging things here. First of all, you know, take advantage to pray in public. You know, Pray for your meal in a restaurant if you've never done that before. You know, just, just take those steps. When, when you're in a small group with, other, with other, other believers and they ask if anyone likes to pray, some of you are like, oh gosh, I hope they don't pick me because what if I say the wrong things? What if I... Listen, let me encourage you, do it. It's not... Listen, God sees your heart. If someone makes fun of you for praying, just slap them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> say, in the name of Jesus, psh, Right? Um, listen, take that step because the more you do it, right? The more you do it, the more the Lord will give you confidence. And it's amazing when you pray from your heart and allow God to use you, it's amazing how it encourages other people. You know, it encourages them to say, maybe you'd say, man, I, I thought I could never pray in public, but now I'm doing it. And I remember there was, I remember years ago, there was a, a man that, that got saved in our church, came to Christ, and I remember his, his um, wife coming up to me, and it was around Thanksgiving time, and he, he just brand new to the Lord, his wife came to know Christ, and he's like, man, I, I, what's this going on with my wife? And we went out, we talked, and he goes, well, I need to accept Christ. So we prayed, and he, he came to the Lord, and then the next couple of weeks was Thanksgiving. She comes up to me, and she goes, you're not going to believe this. During Thanksgiving, when the whole family was there, my husband prayed for the whole family. 
She was, it was amazing. It was a miracle. God is good, right? He had that boldness just to say, you know what? I know Jesus and we're going to pray as a family and pray over the Thanksgiving meal. I loved hearing that testimony. She was so excited about what God was doing in his heart. You see, th- this, is, this is where you can take that step of faith. Maybe it's in one of your acts groups or women's groups or, or men's groups. Just, just step out in faith to do that. Pray with your spouse. Listen, I know this is a touchy issue, issue for many of you. I know it's hard for some of you. We get busy and we forget. And I think sometimes what we end up doing is... is a couple things happen. Let me give you some parameters around this to, to help you couples that are struggling in this area of really praying together. And I'm not talking about some long, drawn-out prayer revival meeting that you have. I'm talking about praying for each other. I know some of you wives, you get, you get frustrated with your husbands and you're, and you're like, man, I wish, I wish my husband would pray more. I wish my... And it becomes nagging and not encouraging. And so let me... This is what I... Be careful here. Let me tell you, wives, love your husbands and encourage them. And when you do pray, don't say a prayer like this. Father God, thank you that my husband is finally praying. Right? Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't say, I'm so glad we finally had this prayer time. Lord, just convict his heart to keep doing it. Don't pray. Just listen. Let your prayers be encouraging to one another as you pray for each other, protection over your marriages. Husbands, let me encourage you. This is the most important thing you'll do with your wife. God has has given you the mandate to be the spiritual covering of your wife. And what prayer does is, and you may be intimidated here. Listen, wives, encourage your husband, the steps they're making, just thank God for that. Uh, But husbands, I want you to realize that that when you begin to step out and you you pray for your wife, it's, it's, it's... Jesus says, husband, love your wives as, as, as Christ loved the church. Jesus never stops praying for his church, his bride. And so, husbands, I would say, you pray for your wife. You, you pray that God would do what he needs to do in her heart, in her life, and that, that your marriage would be protected, and you're praying for your children. That brings unity to your marriage when you pray together. Let it be from your heart. It will be the most intimate thing you will ever do with your spouse. So husbands, I would encourage you, just if you've never done that before, just start somewhere. Whether it's in the morning before each of you leave, or it's at night, just say, hey, can we just get together and just, and just pray? And wives, just encourage your husband here. Now listen, I know there's some of you here, you say, well, pastor, you know, my, my spouse isn't, isn't a believer. Can I just tell you, just be an example to them. The scriptures tell us to be an example to those that are unbelieving. Just be an example to them of who Christ is. I am, I'm just so, um, I have such great memories of of my mother-in-law. Just prayed for her husband for years and years until about a week before he passed away from cancer. He came to Christ, but she never gave up praying for him. And it wasn't easy, but she never gave up praying. So I know some of you, this is an area that is, is difficult because maybe whether it's the wife or the husband that aren't believers, but I would tell you, be that example of who Jesus is and live that out before them.
But let me just encourage your spouses to just take that step if you haven't and begin to pray with each other and encourage each other. Listen, don't make it... Please, please don't do this. Don't make it like a, a, a prayer competition. Don't, don't try to outpray each other. It's not what it is. It's not who prayed longer, who prayed last. But just pray and encourage each other in the Lord and pray for your family. Amen? And I believe when, when we do that, God draws us closer together. I believe, this is, I believe there's an overflow that happens into the body of Christ too. When we're individually praying and seeking the face of God, when couples are praying, I believe automatically that overflows into the life of the church. It's important for us to do that. Remember, we're not individuals. We're part of the body of Christ and what we do individually does affect the body of Christ. So we want to do all we can to bring unity to the body of Christ. Pray with your family. Teach, teach your children you know, to pray. Give, give them examples. Let, let them pray. Um, when, <laughs> when you get a chance, let your kids pray. And just be an example to them too about prayer. And then pray for the church. Pray for the church. Pray for the leadership of our church. The greatest thing that you can ever do for me is to pray. And I, I, I want to thank you um, for praying for Kathleen and I and our family. You will never know how much that means to me. Um, we, need, we need God. We need his help. And prayer is what encourages us when we pray for each other. Um, Sunday afternoons are usually the worst time for me as a pastor because you're always thinking back over your message. You know, you're like, did I bomb? Why did that person get up during the middle of the message? Were they offended? You know, those are, I'm just being totally raw with you right now, right? And I just, I get so insecure about, I don't know if it's insecurity, if it's the devil, I don't know what it is, but um, I always tell people, pray for me on Sunday afternoon because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's not a, a fun time. Kathleen's so good to me about that, but it's not a, it's not a fun time. Um, but, but we all, we need prayer for each other. And we pray for our children's church workers and the leadership in our church and um, you know, it's so important. And I'm, I'm so thankful that when those of you write prayer request cards and you allow, you know, the, the Tuesday night prayer team to pray for those needs, um, they love doing that and we love lifting up those requests. I would, I would encourage you to come Tuesday night to prayer. That's not the varsity league of prayer people on Tuesday nights, okay? It's not like you think, oh, those are the super varsity, you know, Christians that come on Tuesday night. No, it's just, it's just some people that get together that want to pray and pray for the needs of the church for an hour. And so you're more than welcome to come. We won't, we won't make you pray out loud or anything uh, at first, you know, and then we're going to, okay, now pray. No, um, this is just a time we get together and, and just pray for the needs of our church. And you are welcome to, to come to that and, and, and be part of that. Um, as we seek God, we, we grow closer to him and to each other. And, and I believe this is what helps us to get through the difficult times. How many know that everything in the church isn't perfect? And, and everything in our personal lives isn't perfect. And that's why we need to pray and seek the will and seek the heart of God so we have the right type of wisdom and understanding how to deal with every situation that comes our way so that ultimately we're doing things that glorify Jesus. And I believe prayer is the key to do that. 
And I believe when we begin to pray for each other in the church, it just amazes me how our preferences begin to diminish. We really begin to focus on what God really cares about and what he wants for, for our church when we begin to pray. And so if there are things in your life that you're just frustrated about or you're agitated about or you feel like, man, I'm, just, I'm not myself or I don't feel close to God or whatever it may be, I believe you can boil it down to prayer that there's something missing in that relationship with God that he desires to have with you and the closeness that he desires to have with you. And that comes through prayer. So just, say, just seek God with your heart and be honest with him. I think God loves brutal, honest, raw prayers that come from the heart. He loves those because he already knows it. But when we confess it to him and we give him our heart, we're able to draw near to him, and he's there for us. He's a perfect savior. He's gentle in heart, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. That's what prayer does. He wants us to come to him. It's a great segue to communion. And as we take communion um, this morning, as we start the year off by this first Sunday by taking communion, communion is all about unity. In fact, the the root word for communion means together, oneness, fellowship, and sharing. We're sharing together. We're focusing on what Jesus has done for us. Communion is all about sharing and fellowship and coming together. The focus of communion is all about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so as a church, when we focus on Jesus... And what he's done for us, and we draw close to him, this progression of unity becomes greater and greater within our hearts. We see less and less of ourselves, and we see more and more of Jesus. And so communion is to remind us that we are not just individuals, but we we make up a greater part of the family of God. And here's here's the instructions that we're given. Paul, Paul says this because there was disunity within the Corinthian church. And as they were coming together to take communion, what was happening is some of the richer believers were coming early. They were having these big agape feasts. They were drinking too much. They were eating too much. And then when um, those uh, that were poor would come in, there would be no food for them. And then they'd take communion. It was just a train wreck. It was just not good. And Paul corrected them. And Paul rebuked them. And he says, what you're doing, don't, we may think that what we do individually doesn't affect the body of Christ as a whole. And what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth is what you are doing is affecting your other brother and your other sister. Who You're kind of pushing them out from taking communion, which is the most important thing of what you're doing, not just coming together and having an agape feast and eating too much and drinking too much. That's not the purpose of it. And you have to readjust. And so Paul rebukes him. He goes, listen, you need to examine your heart before you do this. And don't take this in a haphazard way. And here's what I would tell you. When we take communion today, let the Lord examine your heart. Because I want you to know that if there's bitterness in my heart, if there's unforgiveness in my heart, and I take communion... And I'm not allowing God's forgiveness to flow into my heart. What it will do, it, was, it will affect the church as a whole. 
If I allow the root of bitterness to continue to grow in my heart and my life and I don't allow God to deal with that, but I continually take communion over and over again and not deal with that root of bitterness, what it will end up doing is fracturing the fellowship of the church. When I offer forgiveness, that doesn't mean what the person did was right. God has to deal with that person. But I allow the grace of God to flow into my life. If I've allowed God's forgiveness and grace to be part of my life where I shouldn't have been forgiven, but yet Jesus forgives me, then that forgiveness needs to flow out of my life. If I'm ignoring another brother or sister, if I'm not treating them the way they ought to be treated, there's something wrong in my fellowship with Jesus. And so Paul says, when you take communion, communion is all about bringing the body of Christ together. So when we examine our hearts, what we're saying is, God, if there is something in my heart, if there's bitterness or unforgiveness or I'm mad at somebody or whatever it may be, deal with it. Let God deal with your heart there. Let forgiveness flow as it flowed into your heart and changed you. Let that forgiveness flow out of your life to others and let God deal with that situation. But if we're not following that example, there's a disconnect between us understanding what Jesus truly did for us. And we didn't deserve his forgiveness or his death on the cross, but he knew that's the only way he could reach us. That while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. So understand that communion is all about the body. It's not something you are taking it individually, but remember that we're taking it corporately, that we are the body of Christ, that what I do individually does affect the church as a whole. So let God deal with our hearts today. Amen? I told you I was going to provoke you today. I'm going to push you a little bit today. It's because I love you, and I love this church And I want this church to walk in union, but if God is not dealing with our hearts or we allow things to pass over our heart, it's going to infect the church. And so when we take communion, I want it to be a holy thing that we do. Not just something we do once a month to check it off the list and say, okay, I did my religious thing. Let it be a holy moment for you where God consecrates us once again to be the body that he died for. Amen? Amen? So let me pray for you, and let me just say this as we take communion today and we worship with the worship team. Just let God speak to your heart in those areas. Let him challenge you today on what steps you need to take to draw close to him to bring unity to the body of Christ. Father God, we come before you today. We see the importance of communion. Jesus said that whenever we do this, we do this in remembrance of him the perfect sacrifice that he made for us. And I pray, God, that we would examine our hearts today, that if there is aught, bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, anything that's in our heart that's, that, could, that could easily break the integrity of the unity of the church, Lord, I pray you would deal with our hearts now before we take communion. Thank you that you are good to forgive that you cleanse us anew and afresh. And I just pray that we would see that we are just not individuals, but we make up the body of Christ and each of us are vital 
to the integrity of this body of living word. And I pray that we would not look at that responsibility loosely, that we would realize that it's a privilege and that we need to do all we can to use the gifts that we've been given to edify this body because ultimately it edifies you and glorifies you, Jesus. So help us to realize our part in the family of God is vital for the glorification of Jesus Christ. Speak that to our hearts now, I pray, as you cleanse us, as we rejoice in what you've done for us, Jesus, and we remember your perfect sacrifice for us. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen.